0: Lord, be with us as we analyze and make sense of your words today, that you will open our eyes to see things just a little bit clearer. Why? So that we can glorify you in our thoughts, words, and deeds. Amen. Okay, The the passage today that we're going to be looking at is 2 Corinthians 5.10, and I'll be splitting it over two parts. This week, we will address the misconceptions we bring to the passage, while next time we will look at applying the words in context to this specific judgment. So let's turn to to, 2 Corinthians 5.10. It reads "For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what He has done in the body, whether good or evil." Now I know that there are many of us that might already have expectations on where this is going, but I think you're going to find that you are wrong. I was wrong. I need to tell you everyone up front that this is an encouraging and wonderful passage once we have wrestled with it and fully realized why <clears throat> what it is saying but don't let me get ahead of myself. Firstly, we will look at church history and hear what the church fathers had to say in the Westminster Confession of Faith chapter 33 about this judgment. The reason we look at this kind of document is because God's word does not change. Truth is truth. There is no progressive truth that adds to what has come before. If there is anything inconsistent, we need to ask why. Because either they were wrong after hundreds of years of of debate, or it, is, or it is us. So, what did they say? Follow me on the overhead as I read or in the back of your notes insert in your notice pamphlet. God the Father has ordained a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by Jesus Christ, to whom he has given all power and judgment. In that day, not only will the apostate angels be judged, but all the people who have lived on earth will appear before the court of Christ to give an account of their thoughts, their words, and their actions. And to be judged according to what they have done in the body, whether good or evil. God's purpose in arranging for this day is to show forth his glory of his mercy in the eternal salvation of the elect and the glory of his justice in the damnation of the reprobate who are wicked and disobedient at that time the righteousness will go in, the, righteousness, the righteous will go into everlasting life and receive the fullness of joy and the refreshment which comes from the presence of the Lord. But the wicked who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ will be thrown in et- into eternal torment and punished with everlasting destruction away from the presence of the Lord. And the glory of his power. God wants us to be completely convinced that there is going to be a day of judgment. As a deterrent to sin for everyone. And as an added consolation for the godly in their suffering. He has also made sure that no one knows When that day will be, so that we may never rest securely in our worldly surroundings, but not knowing what hour the Lord will come, we must always be alert, and may we always be ready to say, Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Amen. Now I'm sure that is the first time. That you might have ever read a chapter from the westminster confession of faith from my personal opinion i think i might have only ever heard four or five times accumulatively spoken throughout my christian walk concerning this document a disservice done because of the truth of the word that forms part of it a man-made document that takes you on safe passages Through the seas of heresy, passages that have taken hundreds of years of church debate to charter, narrow, safe paths of truth, paths that give us a great place to start. Now I'm sure that many of you have and will be wrestling with this passage about the judgment of all as it includes believers. Probably because you know bits of scripture, but have never been able to have enough to formulate a complete picture to have peace with it. The thing is, how can you hold a view of your sins will be removed as far as the east is from the west, but you will be judged? And on top of this, You might have memorized memorized Hebrews 8 and find yourself biting your lip just to stop yourself from shouting out the words of God. For I will have mercy towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. Did you hear that? God will remember your sins no more. How do you quantify these apparent disparities? Let's think about it. The thing that needs clarification in the statement, sins are remembered no more. There are two ways of interpreting this statement. So let's put on our thinking caps. And if everyone will bear with me as we work through this conundrum. Firstly, if we remember their sins no more, is to have your sins totally wiped from everyone's mind, including God's. What would the result from such an action be? Sin that you are ashamed of and you do not want to make known would be removed from all of remembrance. That's what you want, don't you? We are ashamed at what we have thought, said, and did. And we don't want them exposed. We want to hide our sins in the dark, don't we? But what are the implications of such thinking? I know we want to remove the sin that is ever before us. The Bible says so. However... The effects of this action would mean that the mercy and the grace of God would be totally removed. We would forget the love God has shown towards us. Remember my last sermon? The love the triune God has shown us. The love that needs sin to make itself known. The Father that sends the Son to die for an enemy. The son that dies for you and to have your sins removed. The Holy Spirit that works the dung pile of your hearts and minds. This would be totally eradicated. All we and the angels have learnt from from the fall of man and the adoption through Christ. It would eradicate the glory of God and his love shown towards us. Why? Why? Because you are ashamed. Your sin would be exposed. Your self-designated description of being holy and righteous is tarnished. People will not be able to speak of your great sacrifice and accomplishments. They will not be able to worship you. You holy, perfect creature, you. Didn't Satan think the same way? which says this life is about you and not God. All of a sudden, who is God? Would you blot out sin and eliminate grace, mercy, justice, love, wrath, long-suffering, just to mention a few characteristics of God that you would blot out by our thinking? Why? So we would look spotless. Would we remember who God is? No, we wouldn't. We would lose the knowledge of his true nature. We would not remember who he has shown us he is. Why? Because everything we have been shown uses the lens of sin. So we need to, we need to consider the second option. An option where we can hold on to the lessons we have already learnt. Lessons that show us the goodness of God despite our sins. So how do we interpret, I will remember their sins no more. Without destroying everything we have acquired about God. How do we not throw out the proverbial baby with the bathwater? When he says, God will remember your sins no more, it must be referring to the just judgment that follows sin, a punishment that Jesus has paid for, condemnation that is no longer directed at you. The judge's wrath will pass over you because of the blood shed on your behalf. Through Jesus Christ. If we apply it to our children or to our, ourselves as children, it becomes crystal clear. Do we not discipline our children so that they will learn to live in harmony with God and neighbour? in a way that enables them to flourish and to build them up to succeed in this life and in the life to come. Sometimes we help them learn. Other times we watch them learn. While again sometimes we pray for God to teach them lessons they lack. The lessons are however theirs. They are to use them to remind themselves not to sin again. Even in the reminding, there are differences depending on how old they are. When they're young, they listen without analyzing us, trusting us. Then when they become teens, Everything is Christian and they think they are wise and in many cases turn their backs on their parents and loved ones to practice folly and hurt themselves. And lastly, when they are adults, hopefully then they will return to an environment where there is no more condemnation. Having a light-hearted conversation where truth reigns and darkness is exposed. Where positive criticism from a loving, wise parent is wholeheartedly wanted and sought after. Is this not what we want? From Christ to show us all the sin we have overlooked The sin we were blind to. The sin that prevented us from seeing the love of others and of God. The sin we were not even aware of. In our hearts we say we want a new and perfect body. But surely you realize our minds must also be perfect. And for that to be so, our desires also need to be accountable. Not to punish us, but for us to be who God has called us to be. To be a son and daughter that are like him. Perfect in thought, word and deed. Sins and and lessons that mold us into seeing life like God does. Living life like Jesus did. Why? Why? Because his ways are good. No instant download of heavenly wisdom, because that's what you want. But a life lived, filled with choices. And God's written book on how to live it and worship him, placed right there before you. the difference between the bodies we have and the new heavenly bodies we will receive is that the latter will be incorruptible. Bodies that are impervious to sin. Bodies that will be naked but not ashamed. That sin that you are so ashamed of sharing, not being taken away, However, the fear, the shame, and the condemnation stripped away. No longer worrying because everyone knows. Not because God is telling them. Because you will be telling them. You that will believe that you are forgiven. No more needing to hide Because you have come into the light and everything is revealed. Sin is not the focal point anymore. Praising God for his grace that supersedes these thoughts. You'll be willing to shout the grace that covers your sins from the rooftops. Like in the story of Luke 7.47. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows little love. Have you given all your sins to Christ? Or are you still holding on to the sin? That you are ashamed of. The sin that you think he will not forgive. Have you given all of it over to him? Every little bit. Nothing held back. Does his grace wash over you and your life? Purifying all of it from day one to today. The reason I have been covering this topic of grace is because it has at the very heart walking by faith to the glory of God. You cannot walk by faith if you are holding on to what you might consider unforgivable sin. Regardless of our situation, we are called to walk by this faith, aren't we? We are to be lights in this world and show the world what it looks like to glorify God by walking by faith, even in the worst situations and receiving the gifts of suffering, just like Jesus did, following him in this suffering so that we will create a response, just like he did. Remember the Roman centurion God. That witnessed Jesus' death. Not any God, a centurion that was standing with Jesus when he died, and he said, Truly, this was the Son of God. A total summation of what he had seen, what he had heard. Jesus, that was innocent. That forgave his persecutors. That thinks about his mom on the cross. That accepts one of the thieves hanging beside him into his kingdom. Trusting his father beyond the point of death. Is this the response we are striving for? You good and faithful servant. The last thing on this point is, if God knows your sin better than you do, God who sustains all of life, we are to live not by what we do, but it is the one that has the being and the one that upholds us that keeps us alive. A life where God enables you to breathe your next breath. Scripture that states, for God... A day is like a thousand years. Imagine how in-depth God looks at your precious life. If God is sustaining you, then there has been there hasn't been a moment in your life that God was not with you. Every good and evil deed He was with you, keeping you alive as you shook your fists defiantly at him or when he empowered you to do the right thing imagine slowing your life down one day is like a thousand years or slowing it down 365,000 times and the clarity God has into your life are you getting stage fright yet? Are you feeling naked and ashamed? I just want you to pause for a second. Close your eyes. And do not... (coughs) Close your eyes and see the judgment of the non-believers. Picture them being judged... And getting their just sentence. Going to the place they want to go. Because they love evil and do not want to come into the light. Being thrown into hell, the fiery pit of utter darkness where the womb does not die. Where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Being cast out of the presence of God and from his glory and might. Solitude and eternal destruction where the fire never dies. But you, a sinner, are not there. You are standing on heaven's side of the great divide. You can, you can breathe. You can be relieved and grateful as you stand by the blood of Christ. In his loving embrace. Accepting that Jesus has forgiven your sins. Enables you to apply the verse. What you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And what you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. Letting go of the bad things of this life. While holding on to the good things of God Jesus scolded the Pharisees for their hypocrisy, and God detested their practices, thinking they were better than everyone else, holy in their own eyes, but being blind guides. Jesus, he said, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You transverse land and sea to win a single convert, and when he, he, be, and when he becomes one, you make him twice." As much a son of hell as you are. Are you legalistic? Or are you practicing grace? What are you holding on to that will be burnt up in heaven? What sins are you treasuring? Are you going to loose your sins now? Holding on to the grace Jesus gives. Jesus tells of a lady with much sin. Do you have much Sin, And do you want to rid yourself of it? She washes Jesus with tears. Is your heart broken like hers? She humbly washes Jesus' feet with her precious heartfelt tears. She honors Jesus by placing an alabaster jar of perfume on his head. She not only leaves Jesus with the scent pointing towards his death and resurrection, but the scent is left on her. The scent of acceptance. The scent of adoption. The scent of forgiveness. The scent of being loved. This story shows that those who who are forgiven little show little love. Her love was shown by the amount that she spent on purchasing the perfume, giving her most precious gift, the cost of a year's wages, a love gift for Jesus. But you need to judge how much you are a sinner. The thing is, the better you judge yourself, the more sin we all find within ourselves. And the greater we see, we need a savior. So don't fool yourself by thinking you are holy. Open your eyes and see the truth. Ask God to break your heart the same way you break his. That your eyes might be open to your sin. This account ends with Jesus saying that her sins are forgiven and her faith. Has saved her. So, in closing, the story of this sinful lady who has much sin is given grace and her sins are forgiven. In the same way, I'm happy to tell you my stories of my faults, my sins, not because I'm proud of them or because it is easy to acknowledge them before you, because it is not, but because the grace I have received. The thing is that I believe Jesus has forgiven me. My sins are forgiven. Me talking about them and pointing them out to you enables you to deal with yours as well as the grace that accompanies them. The same forgiveness I receive, this is the same forgiveness that you should embrace too. In this way, I do not have to be a hypocrite. I uphold the law of God and know that God's grace is sufficient to fulfill his will for me. Grace that I receive in this life, which will enable me to take my place in God's, <clears throat> with God in heaven, my true home. I see how God's glory fills the earth. That even sin can be used to glorify the goodness of God, who paid for my sins. Sin. I now loathe, and which shows us the love that love comes at a cost, a cost of goodness that came in the form of a crucified Jesus and the grace he gives me. So, my sin will not be forgotten, as these are precious lessons that cost my Savior his blood lessons that show my foolishness throughout my entire life. But one day when I shed this body of death, I will know the fruit of good and evil. The fruit of death and the fruit that leads to everlasting life. Why? Because I lived it. So we will take from, so we will take from this, that the judgment is not a bad thing, as our sins are removed, but the lessons we learn are not useless, and to be thrown away, they are to give us a humble and grateful heart that points to the goodness of God. Amen.